Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is Joe Ciarallo. He is the Director of Communications at Buddy Media, and I am pleased to have him with me on this podcast. Joe, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Eric. Happy to be here. So uh, the report, uh, Strategies for Effective Facebook Wall Posts, was all the buzz. Um, I know a lot of people uh, were looking at it for some guidance on how to be more effective uh marketing through Facebook pages, because the truth is, I think most marketers, you know, post to their Facebook page and all they really get back are crickets. Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, I guess the question becomes, you know, what sort of basic rules of thumb do you have for us in terms of, uh, you know, how to effectively market through a Facebook page? Sure. Um, well, absolutely. So, you know, we, we are not an agency. We're a technology company um, that provides, you know, that helps brands market on Facebook. And so a lot of people ask us that same question, right? They're working with our tools and they're posting and saying, how do I get more engagement? How do I get more conversions through my page? So this is 200 brands um, over a two-week period that we looked at all their posts. So one of the, a lot of the interesting things that we, that we found here, the, one of the most interesting things is that we lead the study off with is, keep it short and sweet, right? Facebook is a lot like Twitter. So posts that were 80 characters or less had almost 30% higher engagement rate. Um, yet those posts, those short posts that are 80 characters or less only accounted for 19% of all the posts that we looked at. So while they have higher engagement rate, they're not the norm. Um, so we thought that was interesting. A second finding that we thought was really interesting was to um, look at look twice before you use URL shorteners, and if you're going to use a URL shortener, look at obviously using a brand-specific URL shortener, right? A lot of brands are using specific URL shorteners, so their community gets used to those shorteners. They don't see a... Um, a URL shortener or a URL that they're not familiar with. Um, long URLs um, saw three times less engagement rate. Um, so that was something interesting to me. Um, so use either, you know, frankly, use either the full-length URL so people can say, okay, they're pointing me to a New York Times link or to a link on their website, or use, a, again, a branded um, short URL so your users and your community um, are familiar with that. If um, someone's going to do a custom URL, do you recommend like, uh, you know, you go, you get a Bitly Pro account and you buy the URL and put it into a, a system like that? That That's worked very well. Again, something that you're, you know, we can, we can, we can obviously do that via our platform. There's other platforms that like, like Bitly that you mentioned that can do that. Um, so I think, yes, you, you want to be consistent and you want to use a program like that that gives you some sophisticated analytics. Um, you know, and, and again, that's becoming the standard for a lot of brands, right? I guess maybe a, a year or so ago, um, there weren't as many brands using that, but now 
people are pretty used to that, especially with a lot of the larger media companies using them. So people are seeing those links percolate around the web more, especially for news stories now, um, whether it's Mashable and obviously Facebook has their own URL shortener, the New York Times. So people are seeing those links more, so they're feeling more comfortable with them. So just so people are are clear on the methodology of this report, this was 200 yes. brands. Most of them are recognizable brands, so people know them. They have an audience. Yes. And um, over what period of time? Over how long? Sure. We looked at all their posts for a two-week period. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. Of all these different recognizable brands that you looked at, are there any sort of trends you could draw with respect to purchase consideration? What I'm wondering is if it's, you know, the Harley Davidson community, uh, which I would imagine is a pretty invested community, do they have more patience for a post longer than 80 words than, say, Coke, you know, or, or a more fickle community that's not necessarily that engaged? Sure. Um, we, we, what we found in, in that regard is um, we did a lot of keyword research, actually. So we don't, I don't have anything specific in terms of length, you know, by brand or length by industry. But what was interesting was looking at a lot of the keywords. So a lot of brands are looking to run contests, sweepstakes, or, or things like that. Um, potentially even, you know, a lot of brands are also doing couponing. So um, we saw a very high um, engagement rate with the words events and winning. And we saw a, a lower engagement rate with the words contest and promotion. Um, so why? Well, that's what we're, we're looking to try to figure out why. Um, what, we, what we are looking at is that you know, people want to be associated with an event or a winner, right? Um, the word new actually was towards the, was towards the top as well, so, so new content or a new contest. Um, but the actual word contest and the word promotion um, didn't do as well because people really like these sort of what we called softer sell keywords, right? They're still talking about the same kinds of things, um, but they're not overly promotional. Promotional keywords such as shop, sale, free shipping, save, they actually performed um, towards the bottom in terms of engagement in our keyword um, analysis. So that's something that we looked at in terms of conversions that we found really interesting. When you look at, you know, trying to um, get as much engagement as you can so that you show up as a top post under the top news, you know, algorithmic edge rank order of, of a Facebook news feed. Sure. Um, uh, do you get into the specifics of, of luring likes versus comments or is it pretty much you're just trying to get engagement? You obviously want engagement, and you know there. But obviously, there are um, comments are weighted heavier in Facebook's edge rank. So you obviously you want comments um, over likes, right? Likes are easier to get. Um, and we actually, I mean, in a separate report we put out just on edge rank, we talk a lot about this and and how you can boost um, your presence in the newsfeed. And I can touch on some of the high level um, parts of that, but basically. EdgeRank is similar to, in a way, it's similar to Google PageRank in that there's not a lot disclosed publicly from Facebook about EdgeRank, right? So, 
there's they don't really talk about how the sausage is made in the same way Google doesn't, right? Because they want to make sure people aren't, frankly, gaming it. And Google, as we all know, is constantly refining their search algorithm to uh, make sure it's you know not being uh, gamed or manipulated. Um, so same same with Facebook. There's not really a lot of public information um, from Facebook about that. So, but what we do know um, is that it does look at comments um, heavier heavier than likes. And we do have a report on that that was separate than this. Um, and there's some more we can I can talk to you about that. Um, but I, I recommend people just look around um, on, on our site. They can download the white paper on EdgeRank. TechCrunch also has a really good post up um, on sort of what they call the secret sauce uh, of EdgeRank. There is a, a rough formula for newsfeed optimization, um, which is basically so, sort of the, the edge type um, which they look at comments, likes, tags, et cetera. And they also um, they also do include a decay factor, right? So how long the how long the post stays um stays active. And are there any other sort of top line findings on this edge rank report you wanna you wanna mention to us? I will put a, a link in the show notes. So uh, if you just hop on over to ontherecordpodcast.com and load the show notes for this show, uh, I'll have a link to uh, both of the Bunny Media reports. But any other sort of top-line findings from the EdgeRank report you want to share? Yeah. So what we what we also do know is that they look at um, also your affinity. So if it's someone that you connect with often versus someone you haven't connected with in a while, that also factors in. Um, and also as I mentioned before, time. So the older something is, the less important um, it comes. So that, those are a few of the things um, that we found. And what we looked at in the report was also sort of here's what we, here's so the report is basically the basics of EdRank, right? The basic info we do um, we do know, but then what can brands do? to boost this, right? So what are some of the strategies they can do? So here's an interesting example. I was speaking with um, Ekaterina Walker, who's a, a social media strategist at Intel um, at South by Southwest this past year. And she mentioned that she actually loves it when someone maybe will come onto their page and, you know, maybe correct a spelling error or point out, you know, things like that. Because then sometimes she can, like, even get into a debate with them you know, or or sometimes sometimes I'm like you guys messed this up, you spelled it wrong, and then she'll hop in and leave a comment, and that'll that'll end up you know creating a string of maybe ten or fifteen comments on whatever the topic is they're debating, all generated off of like a you know a question about a spelling error or someone complaining about a spelling error. So her point was that you know tur you turn those negative or those you know sort of nitpicky comments into an opportunity to boost the conversation. And she's like, I love this because it's just boosting. Um, you know the comments on our on our post, and then hence boosting um, our edge rank. Now, I um, recently, my wife had friended a a mom of another kid at the school where my kid goes to school, mm -hmm. and she showed me her Facebook newsfeed. She's like, "Oh my God, this uh, woman Jody put something on her on her newsfeed, and she has fifty four comments. I've never seen anything like that." And we clicked mm -hmm. on the comments. And it was Jody and one other mom from the school having a conversation. <laughs> yeah. And there were just 50. It was just those two. Nobody else even entered. And it was it was topping out her, her news feed for top news for, you know, a good 24 hours. So, I mean, does it not Crazy. really matter 
how many different people are in the discussion? Can it just be two people? And do you think that, you know, people will start to game that? Um, that's a good question. I honestly don't know if the number of people, that's something I, I have to look up. I don't know if the number of people um, affects something like that. I, I would assume, um, and again, I could I can share the report with, with your with your audience to download. Um, I would assume it does because, again, Facebook doesn't want you to just, uh, you know, get in a back and forth forever with one person, right? And you could just, like you mentioned, instruct one person to continue to comment, comment, comment. And then what does that really do for anybody? And, you know, my wife's a pretty standard user. I mean, she has like 130, 135 friends, average number. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for her, for, for someone to wind up at the top of, of, of her feed is going to be you know, a lot easier than uh, a social media marketer with 1,000 or 2,000 friends. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So what's, what I want to do is I want to drill down a little brass tacks on the strategies for effective Facebook wall posts uh, report because in there sure. there are a bunch of really interesting word clouds that uh, show you um, you know what posts are most likely to either get liked or commented based on the certain words that they were using and sure. one of them says most like posts include the following words and the first word was like the second yeah. word was take and the third word was submit um, yeah. But there are no real examples in the report of how you might use those terms in a, in a Facebook wall post. So I was hoping yeah. you might may talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, so, so again, this, what, we, what we find here, and an overall finding is the simpler, the better, right? So if you want someone to like something, right? Like sometimes brands will do, you know, I'm just using this as an example. I don't know if they've actually done this. You know, like a sports league will say, you know, like this post if you if you're a fan of whatever team, right? Or like this post if you're watching the game tonight, right? So it's very simple. Like, I'm going to watch the game tonight. I'm going to like this. Or maybe, the, you know, uh, a media company may say, um, you know, do you agree with um, this topic, right? They'll post like almost like a poll. Well, now they can post polls on this, but they'll post questions and say, like this if you agree, right? So they're using that word in there and making it really simple. And then the, the interesting thing was, um, you know, we also had a, a keyword cloud for the most effective way to generate comments, right? So the, the ones you mentioned, like, take, and submit, were, excuse me, for were the most effective for generating likes. For generating uh, comments, it was the, the top three keywords were post, comment, and tell us, right? So, so again, really simple, right? Tell us what you think of the new pretzel crisps flavor, right? Um, Comment here if you'd like to see, you know, um, you know, Doritos, you know, launch this ad on the Super Bowl, right? So you're just you're really spelling it out. The action you want people to take, the simpler, the better. To what extent? I mean, wh where do you draw the line as a marketer, um, you know, for not being seen as pandering? Because I start to see people now post to their Facebook walls things like, you know like this post if you're proud to be an American. I saw that, you know, from a few people on the 4th of July, and you kind of roll your eyes and say, oh, my God, really? I mean, are, are yeah. you really think I'm that stupid? I mean, how, yeah. how do you sort of decide, you know, what is a good way to use these words and what's, you know, pandering? 
Exactly. I mean, you don't want to overuse it, right? And you don't want to be pandering, obviously. I mean, each each community manager and each brand knows their brand best, right? And I think that's that's the key is take the findings and apply them to your community. And sometimes you can do fun posts like that, right? If you're if you're Macy's, right? You know, like you know, so for the Fourth of July, right? Instead of just like if you're American, maybe Macy's post say, "Hey, um, you know, like this post if you'll be joining us for the Macy's fireworks tonight or something." Right? It's more specific to their brand. A lot of people obviously will be attending the fireworks still, and it's a good way to to even remind them. Or you know, the fireworks start at nine o'clock. Make sure you're there early. Uh, you know, even give even don't even you know don't even just do the the like post. Right? Actually, give them information. Um, that's valuable to them. So I think you need to strike a balance. And I think that you know a lot of brands are very eager to boost their edge rank, obviously very eager to boost their um, fan count. And I think that though a lot of brands now are realizing that um, you know fan count is great. What brand is not going to want a million fans? And if you show me a brand that has a million fans, they probably want two million or five million. But they also realize now that you know. The engagement and what's happening on the on their presence on Facebook is is much more important, right? If they can they can build up a million fans through maybe a contest or something, and and that's that's great. It's people engaging with with the, with them because hopefully the contest is valuable or interesting to them. But then how do you keep them around, right? How do you keep them coming back? What's the strategy? Um, and that's the whole point of the Facebook page, right? It's a community. Um, and so this contest has only been around for two and a half years. It seems like forever, but really we couldn't even like a brand before March 2009. Um, so once that happened and they launched the Pages product, that's when brands, I think a lot of brands had this light bulb moment of, wow, now we're going from maybe you know dabbling in Facebook, launching an app or sponsoring a pre-existing app out there to now we have our own sort of home base that's 24-7, 365. So um, a few months back, LinkedIn launched something called LinkedIn Today. And basically, mm-hmm. it's a, a service that allows you to see the news um, that your friends are sharing based on a given industry. And yeah. uh, so, you know, I remember once I posted to a group that I'm a member of on LinkedIn, my question was, what do you think of LinkedIn Today? And I capitalized LinkedIn and I capitalized the T in Today and I put a question mark. And I got so much engagement and so much response. I was a top influencer in the group. I mean, you know, it was, uh, you know, it, it maxed out as the most popular discussion. But people didn't answer the question what they thought of LinkedIn Today, the news service. They just answered, oh, I think LinkedIn is great. I use it all the time. You know, it was that type of a thing, right? Now, sure, one sure. of the findings from this Strategies for Effective Facebook wall posts was, you know, don't ask why, ask where, when would and should and then it, it shows the types of questions most likely to get responded the first was where then when then would can you talk to us a little bit how you would use where when and would in a in a share that would be most likely to encourage engagement sure um so in just taking a step back right why why can be you know what we found is why can be perceived as intrusive and or challenging right when you ask someone why it involves more of a an explanation frankly than you know then say again going back to the sports team example you know the St. Louis Cardinals post hey when are you headed out to the park tonight right 
or or you know we have a we have a, uh, a pregame festivity going on. When are you headed out? Right? Okay, 10 p.m. Uh, well, actually, that'd be a late baseball game. <laughs> uh, one you know 1 p.m. I'll be there. Right? It's an easy, a quick, easy answer. Um, you know, or or a lot of times travel companies. Right? Where are you headed for Fourth of July weekend? I'm going to Cape Cod. Right? Easy answer. But you know something something like why are you going to Cape Cod this weekend? Well, why the heck is this brand <laughs> asking me why I'm going to Cape Cod? First of all, and second of all, I don't know. It's, it's the beach. Like, what do you mean? What, why? Why am I going there? So, um, that's for where and when. And and also with wood, I think we see a lot of people saying like, you know, would you do this or would you like this? What would you like to see us um, post on 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 our page? You know, would you like to see us post more of this kind of content? Um, I think a lot of people really love that. I think Ford is great at doing that, um, really helping helping their community shape the content itself and asking for feedback a lot. So the political pollsters have been dumbing down the campaign messages. You know, every year things get a little bit more simple and they test these different messages and they try to have as few syllables as possible. I mean, is, is that sort of catching up with us here in a, a network like Facebook where, you know, you got to keep it, you got to dumb it down. You got to make it real simple, not too many syllables. That's where you're going to get the engagement. And if you want to have a meaningful conversation, Facebook ain't the place to do it. Is that the takeaway? No, I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily the takeaway because we do see, you know, some more complex stuff going on. This is all stuff in the wall keep in mind too, right? So a lot of times brands use the wall to drive people over to their page tabs where they may have video content or other things that's more dynamic, right? To get to your point where it's not just simple kind of stuff, right? Folks may be taking quizzes or polls or watching video exclusive content, um, getting a, a product launch. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of this ties back into just the news world, right? You're an editor of a podcast. I'm a former um, editor at at, a, at mediabistro.com, a pretty large media industry website, and even at Buddy Media, we, we write a con we write write and produce a, a ton of content. So, I think it's not necessarily a Facebook thing. I think it's really just a media thing that we are now in the business of creating headlines and messages that spread, right? And you know very well that how you word your title of these podcasts gets people to click more and listen more, right? So, um, so for example, you know, we, there was a recently a news story on, on an industry blog that said Buddy Media CEO joins, um, joins the board of Village Vines, right? Our CEO had joined the board of another company. And then within an hour, that headline was changed to, you know, guess which, you know, guess which hot company Buddy Media CEO just joined the board of. Or something. It was something similar to that, and then had the big click to read more button, right? So they, and Huffington Post does this as well, right? They tinker with headlines in real time, and I think brands are doing the same thing. Obviously, on Facebook, um, once you post, you post, you can take it down, but so you can't. It's not like a blogging uh, software where you can just tinker with things as easily. So I think it's. I, I think a lot of the findings can be applied to other social networks or even just content creation in general. When we return, who's more valuable? A Facebook friend, an email subscriber, or a Twitter follower? What's the best time to post to your Facebook page? And Facebook for B2Bs. 
Stay with us. What I had seen was, you know, you could do these webinars for an hour here and two hours there, and it just didn't feel like it was enough. Like it, I just felt like I needed to be more absorbed into something for a couple of days, just completely immerse myself. The hands-on nature was absolutely the home run for me, bringing my laptop. And as you're walking us through something, we are doing it, you know, setting up our own blog or exploring Google Reader or whatever it was to actually be doing that because certainly I've been to computer-related courses before where you sit there with a book and a piece of paper but not actually plugged in, and that was really valuable to me to be doing it as we talked about it, so much better retention-wise. Um, so that was good, lots of good resources. I, I you know, bookmarked <laughs> so many things and find myself, you know, it's over a year later, I still refer to those bookmarks. And then it was just an interesting combination of people in the room. I mean, I'm this small, tiny little consulting firm, and I'm sitting next to the woman from Pepperidge Farms. <laughs> and yet, I felt like I learned from her, and I think she learned from me, and of course, we all learned from you. So it was, it was a really neat dynamic of who was in the room, even though we were a small group. If you're ready to get serious about social media, train your people, train yourself. The war against digital illiteracy will not be won through social media conferences, keynotes, panel sessions, or PowerPoint. What's required is hands-on training. Join me for my upcoming hands-on training tour presented by Social Media Today. This September 2011, I'll be in Sydney, Singapore, London, Paris, Toronto, New York City, Chicago, and San Francisco. There's only 30 slots per session, and you can sign up at www.socialmediabootcamp.com. In September of 2010, so a little less than a year ago, Exact Target, the email marketing company, um, mm -hmm. did a survey of uh, their customers and tried to determine uh, who's more valuable, a Twitter follower, an email subscriber, or a Facebook fan. And I'll have a link to the um, blog post that eMarketer ran on it uh, where I have a couple of uh, charts I'm looking at here. Basically, sure. uh, what they found was that 37% of Twitter followers are more likely to purchase from a brand after becoming a follower, while only 17% of Facebook fans were more likely to purchase from a brand after becoming a subscriber. And then they said on the Twitter, on the um, purchase intent side, that, and this is US, US internet users yeah. who are more likely to recommend a brand after becoming a subscriber, fan, or follower. 33% of Twitter followers were more likely to recommend a brand after they followed it versus only 21% of Facebook fans. So, I mean, do you think there is an argument to be made that because Facebook is so big, because it has such, you know, a large user base, that really, you know, the, basically the, the lowest common denominator is going to equal it out and you're just not going to get as much pull from that network than a network of more, you know, earlier adopters like Twitter? Or do you think that's, a, that's an inappropriate assumption? I mean, I don't know. I'm looking at the, you know, I remember obviously the exact target study. I like, I mean, obviously it makes for a great headline and people are very interested in that kind of stuff, um, comparing different platforms. I don't know their exact methodology, but you know what? It, 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 when you talk to, so when you talk to brands, right, 
they're not, I mean, you can't really say across the board Facebook's more valuable, right? Or or email is more valuable than this, right? It's sort of comparing apples to oranges in a way. What I like to talk about with brands is like, what are they trying to do and how, do, how does they use these different platforms to do that, right? And what, what I mean by that is take, for example, um, a brand that we work, we worked with, the uh, pretzel crisps that I mentioned earlier, right? Snack food, right? Not you know, pretty simple brand. <laughs> Pretzels and chips combined, um, and they offered a, a coupon to their Facebook fan buy one buy one get one, um, and they didn't do any advertising around it, right? So they save a lot of money, um, not having to obviously promote the coupon or the you know the old way of putting it in the circulars or whatever, and they saw fifty eight percent and 83 percent redemption rates one was for a buy one get one and one was for a dollar off so that's actually people going into the store associating with the brand purchasing the product versus and off like no marketing spend so that's what i'm interested in is how like the specific examples like that right so then we don't talk about oh did you know what does twitter more valuable than this or did if we would have done this on facebook well we we did this this thing which is a coupon and they're going to do more of those and we can track the results of it so and i don't mean that as like a, like a cop-out answer i think i think brands you know in many ways are still in some ways in the early innings you know and and the exact target numbers are interesting you know and i don't know if it's because twitter you know they didn't really get into the findings too much here about whether it was because twitter are early adopters or whatnot or because facebook has a much larger audience um so it's it's interesting, and I think it's going to continue to evolve. You know, I think for every study that comes out, there's another study that says the opposite, right? So there's ones that say Facebook is higher. There's there's been we've seen a we've seen a gazillion studies that say a Facebook fan's worth a buck. It's worth 130 bucks. It's worth 70 dollars. It's worth this. I mean, what's a fan to Ferrari versus a fan to Coke, right? And the two ones are massively you know, massive global consumer goods company that sells billions, sells billions of dollars worth of products every day, and one is a car that costs, you know, as many as a couple hundred thousand Cokes. But I know, like, my expectations of how I use Twitter versus how I yeah. use Facebook are very different. And oh, sure. typically I'll go to Twitter because I want to discover links to click through. And typically I'll go to Facebook because I want to stay in Facebook. I, I'm less likely, me personally, I'm less likely yeah, yeah, yeah. to click through from Facebook to some sort of a destination. And is, yeah. am, am I am I part of uh, the majority, or do, are people just as willing to click click through a Facebook page to a destination site as they would be, you know, from a tweet? Well, it's interesting, and again, it's different for for it's different for different companies. One example that's really interesting, and they're a media company, so they're a little bit different. But Gawker Media. Um, Nick Denton put out a great, uh, you know, put out their data. He put out their numbers, and this is a couple months ago, I believe. And he, he he'll do occasional updates on this, so we'll, it'll be interesting to see if he does another update. He's he put out um, the Gawker Media numbers, and they're a network of, I believe, I don't know how many blogs they have now. I think around ten blogs, um, and Facebook was just killing Twitter in terms of referral traffic for them. So much so that he for for a time he even took off the Twitter share buttons and said we're just going to put the Facebook share button on our sites. Forget about everything else. Facebook's driving the most traffic, um, so people were clicking through there for sure. I mean, obviously they're a, a content site, so they have 
you know, that's a little bit of an advantage, obviously. That's what they're meant to do. Um, now, they've since added the other buttons, right? They, they figure, well, why are we going to not have these other sharing buttons on our site? Um, so I think, yeah, and, and when you talk to any media company these days and a lot of brands as well, um, you know, look at, and then you look at, um, obviously, e-commerce companies, um, Amazon's um, Facebook implementation and, and their work with Facebook Connect has, um, I think, the late, the numbers they put out, and this is a little bit dated, this is from last fall, so it would be interesting, again, to see the updated updated numbers from Amazon. Um, just them more tightly integrating Facebook Connect made their referral traffic from Facebook go from 3% of their total traffic to 9% of their total traffic. It's interesting. Um, you know, when we were at uh, uh, the web in Paris last year, and they did that uh, Facebook uh, boot camp, and I think it was Simon Cross sure. uh, who did a presentation of how um, La Repubblica, which is a major newspaper in Italy, had integrated sure. the, uh, the the like button into the different um, uh, soccer clubs that they cover. There's like 10 different soccer teams in Italy, maybe more, I'm sorry. I'm sure I'm going to sure, send sure. some soccer fans somewhere. Um, <laughs> well, but if you the count way, the small ones, there's lots of them. <laughs> okay. So basically the way it works is if you go to La Republica, you can um, hit the like button on a story mm -hmm. for any of the individual teams. And then what you've done is you've subscribed to the news feed from that paper for all stories pertaining to that team. And Simon, um, we'll have a link in the show notes. I actually recorded this, and, and we've got a separate show on it. Um, Simon said, he, he was quite quite clever. He said, it's kind of like RSS, but that people actually use. And so and so, I think, you know, this example of um, subscribing through media is really quite different because the product is, of course, the media itself. Whereas, sure, you know, if sure. you're trying to sell hamburgers or snack food or motorcycles you know it's a that's a different thing sure and i agree i think i think the other thing that is frankly interesting is that um what you know a lot of journalists and in, 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 uh, a lot of journalists and, and people in the tech space again so people that you know, we're not we're not what <laughs> you know i guess the the average we're not we're not a good sample right but because we're like we're devouring news all the time have said you know twitter has replaced my rss right it's my my curated rss feed um for some people that maybe facebook i know like you know i follow i was going to a um you know a music festival last summer and i started following the festival on facebook just for the heck of it just to see what was going on and they're posting all sorts of valuable stuff like hey if you're headed out friday at four traffic's gonna be bad or if you're looking to you know uh when you get here here's where the you know you're gonna be able to get supplies and ice if you're camping this weekend and things like that so to me that's much better than getting a gazillion emails alerts right or even a daily email right um, but if it's in my feed you know, I'm gonna. I don't mind it as much now. Again, that's just a personal example, and also it's something that I opt in, opted into. Um, but I think that the, the application's there for other brands too. Like I think that um, again, going back to Ford, they've done a lot of work with product announcements and different things on Facebook. So people are more open to. You know, it'd be interesting to see that see some sort of. You know, perhaps we could even look into this about you know how people are using you know. Twitter versus Facebook as an RSS-like, you know, service. It's interesting, you know, um, the level of sophistication uh, required to appreciate as a communicator when to push out information 
um, you know, via a stream is sort of something we're all waking up to. This idea sure. that people um, sort of manage their attention by dropping in and out of streams as it works for them. Actually, one of the most brilliant uh, um, interviews I've ever done for this show was with Chris Messina, who is the open source advocate for Google, talking all about activity streams and how he believes as they become integrated into workflows, they'll essentially... Um, you know, totally reform the way organizations collaborate, and I agree with him. Um, unfortunately, Wave was before its time. We'll see what happens with Google Plus. Um, sure. But what what I'd like to do? There's a, just a few more things I want to cover before we wrap this up. And the first is sure. um, the subject of timing. Uh, Dan Zarella was sure, recently sure. on the show talking about his report, The Science of Timing, and he uh, basically said, uh, if I if I remember correctly, that Facebook peaks pretty much between 5 and 8 p.m. Um, Eastern time. Um, and of course, that's a you know, that's when all users are there. I know you guys sort of carved the data by industry. So what sure. did you find out about the best time for brands to be marketing on Facebook? Yeah, so so basically, in this, we found that really you want to look at the off-peak the off peak hours, right, when people are not at work, right? So a lot of the brands and pages are posting a lot during work hours, right? The community managers in the office, they're, they're checking out content. A lot of the engagement happens. We saw engagement spikes, you know, 7, 8 in the morning before folks are going, going into work. And then also late night before Eastern bed, time, right? right? All times yeah, Eastern. Yeah, 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 yeah. 10, 10, 10, 11 at night. So that, but, but the thing is, we put out this report. You know, one of the things we put out the report, and then, you know, some people said, "Well, that's different." You know, I've seen big spikes here, and actually, I've done this, and that's why we, we put the, you know, the caveat in here. Listen, this is one study. It, it is very. They are very large global brands, and, but, again, like I said before, no each each community manager knows their brand best right so for example like we talk about um uh, you know one of uh, the brands we work with the philadelphia eagles again sports team they have a little bit of an unfair advantage but they had a game with the new york giants they're doing a with that a big crazy comeback i'm a giants fan that that game was very painful to watch where they came back from i don't even know how i think four touchdowns and and won the game and the eagles saw more engagement because they're posting really frequently in that fourth quarter they saw more engagement in that fourth quarter than they did that in the previous three games. So wh th that's what we talk about a lot. It's like, yes, there are these times to post, right? So we have, you know, um, for example, you know, the auto industry, you know, not posting a lot on Sunday when there's a ton of engagement on Sunday, right? People are out of work. Maybe dad's at home looking looking around on the net the net during his free time, right? So we see those trends like that, right, for different industries, but know your sweet spot. So we talk about the Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles in that game, they could have posted every two minutes almost, right, because they had such high engagement. People were so obsessed with this game, after the game, the recaps, everything. Um, and the same may be, you know, for another um, big event your brand is involved involved in, right? Once you see those sort of sweet spots and people are engaging, um, max it out. Now, you don't want to hit people over the head with so much content, right? We see sometimes people um, on Twitter, you know, I've heard a lot of folks tell me on Twitter, oh, I, I can't follow this guy because he just live tweets too many conferences and events and whatnot. So you don't want to hit them over the head. But 
there are these are these key sweet spots. So automotive is one I mentioned. Um, entertainment and the entertainment brands we looked at also were, were overlooking the weekend, right? People going to movies, people at home enjoying themselves. The brands were not posting as much, and they, but even though there was higher engagement on their on their pages, um, obviously um, one of the things that we we found interesting, of course, is um, is travel, right? Towards the end of the week. They they have the highest engagement, right? Because pe- people are looking to forward to whatever weekend trips um, they may be going on. Again, that's our that's our hypothesis. Um, we could you know there could be other reasons as well. Joe, talk to us. I mean, I've got to think that there have been a number of companies that have come to Buddy Media and said, "Hey, we want to get out there. We love this stuff," and you know they're not the the Eagles. You know they're not sure, the consumer sure, sure. brand. So talk to yeah. us about like, you know, niche marketing or B2B marketing or even marketing to consumers, a brand that's not so well known. I mean, what, how, does all the same information apply or, you know, how would you, how would your approach be different if you were working with a, a client like that? Yeah, I mean, like Buddy Media is an example and then, you know, we're a B2B brands. I know that people do come to us for information about Facebook and social media marketing. So we try to be very cognizant of that. We take surveys um, of folks about what kind of content they want to see on our site um, and on our Facebook page. We consider ourselves very much a news feed and educational resource for Facebook and social media marketing. Um, so, so that's know, like know your niche, right? So there are pages that are devoted to the most uh, niche topics. Own it, own it, own it. And I think media companies now are are very similar in the way that they'll have just the Apple blog, right? It's no longer the tech reporter; it's the the Apple reporter, right? Or the Google blog, or Mac Rumors, right? Mac Rumors is a massive site, right? Just off of Apple reporting. So I think for brands that are smaller in niche, it's own that niche, be that resource, and let people know that if they want information on that, um, they can they can go to your page to get it. I think it's, it's pretty simple. Um, I don't want, I don't want to seem like I'm dumbing it down too much. Um, but really it is pretty simple. And, and some of the brands did come to us, you know, and started using that. Um, one that I really wanted to, um, to mention, um, is Ann Taylor that used a lot of these. I mean, they're also a larger company and, and, and you know, more, more well-known brand. Um, but they're not, you know, one of the top, you know, they're not a Coke. They're not one of the top, you know, most well-known brands in the world. But they're, they're, they're a solid brand, and they've been posting more on their page, um, just looking at some of the things we recommended around keywords and time of day and, and things. And they've seen their engagement increase more than 500% on, on their page um, since, since following some of the recommendations we made. So... It's it's just amazing to see folks and, and brands like that really be able to um, to do to do such good work in such a short time. One other thing from a separate study that I did I did want to mention is now this is based off um, luxury brands only, so this is a little bit different. This is a, another study we put out with our partners at L2. They're a think tank out of NYU that works only with luxury brands, so luxury prestige brands. But I think there is you know some tie over. Um, as well, as well here, um, but they said they. And this is something we sponsored with them. Um, they they did the research at NYU, but we we partnered with them to release it. Um, brands that allow 
comments right on their page saw much higher engagement. So there are still some of the luxury and prestige brands that shut off commenting on their page. So obviously, I th I, you don't want to do that. And actually, Facebook is changing that. So come August 15th, you have to allow folks to comment on your items. They were originally holding off and making some exceptions for pharma companies and whatnot. Now, um, now really, there's there's a few small exceptions that we I don't even want to get into the details. Uh, uh, but th but for the most, for the vast vast majority, even pharma brands have to allow that engagement because that's what Facebook's about. It's not about a one way a one-way communication vehicle. You know, it's interesting. I heard uh, Brian Solis interviewed by Shell Holtz on a recent episode of Forum Media Release. Uh, Brian was talking yeah. about um, so a media audit that he had done for a major fashion brand. And he said, yeah. you know, after doing this social media audit, you know, it was clear to me that basically every single brand, every single major fashion brand sounds like a 16-year-old girl. <laughs> so you you could I mean you could see how you know sort of the highbrow marketers in Paris and New York might think oh my God how can we let these kids comment on our page they're gonna drag us down into the doldrums but you're telling me now that really they're not gonna have any choice yeah I mean that's where it gets to you know just if it, it comes to younger children just being a good parent and watching over what they're doing online um, Facebook doesn't you know again there had been some exceptions made for regulated industries. Now it's it's basically going away for almost. But, but what I'm saying is, you know, I'm sure the uh, the uh, the brand geniuses at Prada and uh, you know all these highfalutin fashion houses don't want to see OMG triple exclamation point. You know that type of vernacular associated with their brand. But I guess what what you're telling me is they're not going to be able to hold out if they want to market on Facebook. Nope, <laughs> they're not. So, uh, so I guess they they'll have to relax their standards on Facebook, and then maybe on the paid side, that's where they'll be able to present the type of image that they're you know more comfortable with a more controlled image. It's it's no, I mean that's that's a possibility for sure. I think you know, I mean, we, you know, that's why I think there's a lot of, again. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of thinking around just you know how how it how you know minors are are well you know best protected on Facebook and something that a lot of brands have to think about and it's something why you know Facebook doesn't allow you have to be 13 you know technically to get on the platform and but it's hard to enforce these kinds of things and that's why again it comes down to I think each individual and their family and whoever they're you know whoever's responsible for them. So let's wrap it up with a little discussion about, <laughs> you know, social commerce and ad units and sure, promos. Sure. I mean, more and more organizations are actually converting inside of Facebook. And I'll give you an example. Um, one of the things um, Xavier Leclerc uh, mentioned at the web uh, when we were there was this new ad unit that they had, which was the like button ad unit. It really doesn't seem like that big a deal, but it really is because in the past, ads were designed to transit you over to a landing page. But in the case of the like button ad unit, you click the like button and the brand has a persistent connection with you. Plus, you've recommended that brand in your newsfeed to your friends. And sure. the light bulb went off when, when Xavier shared that with me. I was thinking, my gosh, now wonder they're valued at 50 billion. They've figured out a way not only to scale social media, but also 
to provide advertisers and marketers with demographics associated with those transactions because, of course, everybody's got a profile. Um, sure, so sure. on the promo side, you guys have this platform where you can actually run ads that are compliant, right, off the wall, inside of these canvases. And I guess now in the world of social commerce, are you actually including some sort of transactional opportunities in your platform? Yeah, we are. I mean, really, we've looked off Facebook. Um, you know, we, we acquired a company called Spinback, um, five guys here in New York, um, building this this awesome technology. Um, so yes, that's what everyone wants to know, right? Likes are great, engagement's great, but what's it doing to my bottom line? Uh, to your point of like the, the point about landing pages and conversions and and leveraging the social graph, but we're also looking off Facebook. So we you walk into a room, right, and you ask any brand, okay, how many of you guys have? You know, social sharing on your website. Every, I mean, almost everyone will raise their hand, right? The like button, Twitter share, share this, whatever it may be, right? There's lots of different, uh, and there's lots of different sharing buttons out there. And then you go, how many of you guys know what, what those shares are doing to drive sales, or what what it means to your business, whether it's a sale or whatever the conversion may be? And almost all the hands go down, right? Because no one really knows. They know how many likes they're getting, maybe how much traffic, etc. So. Um, that's what we're looking into is, you know, we can now say, okay, hey, Best Buy, um, you know, the the iPad 2 or this flat screen is the most shared uh, product on your site. It's being shared most by women um, 35 to 44 in the Boston metro area. Oh, and by the way, each share on average is driving, you know, $2 in, in revenue to your company. Um, so then it gets to to the real, you know, then then the sort of CMO, CMO's, you know, uh, ears, eyes and ears light up when you can really tie it all the way back to conversions. Now, it's not, now, again, there could be other conversions that a company is interested in besides just the sales. Maybe uh, a brand wants to drive newsletter sign-ups or drive other kinds of conversions we can apply that to. So I think that's that's really interesting, and and that kind of data is is what brands are really wanting to know. What does this all mean to my bottom line? Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. It's been a very uh, enlightening conversation. <laughs> Eric, thanks so much for having uh, having me. The pleasure is all mine. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.